I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. My name is Emmett Mann. Much appreciated for tuning in. Joining me today, we got Yasmin to talk about the Suns game last night. Then we're going to do some true and false. But first, Yasmin, how's your January going? Um, one week into 2022, (laughs) um, I had, I had great hopes until the announcement of the lockdown. So we're starting the new year in February into Ontario. So (laughs) we gotta, we gotta take it easy. Don't be too hard on yourselves guys. Yeah, absolutely. I was on a work call a few days ago and someone had said to me, he's like, Oh, it's kind of crazy that we thought at this point last year that we're going to be in the clear. We're going to be vaccinated, all good to go. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much because we're trying to be positive about the outlook and so (laughs) forth, but yeah, kind of interesting that we're, we're back here anyways. Anyways, things are positive in Raptors land, I would say. I mean, they lost yesterday, 99-95 to the Phoenix Suns. A really entertaining game, like high spirits. I think Monty Williams, after the game, was saying it was one of the weirdest and coldest games he's ever experienced because obviously the Suns are coming off like, you know, games upon games of playing in front of fans. And in this one, 20K, not there. And obviously the atmosphere that they're used to. So there was a bit of a, I guess, transition period for the Phoenix Suns kind of getting acclimated to playing in front of uh, zero fans again. But at the yeah. same time, um, what was your takeaway from this game? What was your uh, your thoughts on it? Because it was highly entertaining. Yeah. Um, the Raptors had control for, I'd say, 60, 70% of the game. Uh, but it's hard to be upset at this loss because, you know, win streaks have to ev- end eventually. But uh, I thought, I considering that they were shorthanded, missing Scotty Barnes, Gary Trent, um, really important pieces to yeah. both ends of the floor. Like Gary Trent has really established himself as a defensive threat. And um, what's interesting is that he's, you see how important he is in games like this because um, the amount of attention Fred was getting, it was really hard to shake off the, um, the length that the Suns presented and threw at him. Mm-hmm. Um, dealing with those doubles, it was really hard for him to get those wraparound passes. The Raptors had so many turnovers. The Suns are such a great defensive team. Um, and they were hanging in there literally until the last moments, um, till the final minute, really. Um, but yeah, it's hard to be upset with this loss. I feel like, you know, at full health, it would have been a great competition. Um, and it was a great litmus test of a game to see where this team is looking at, like at this point in the season. Um, yeah, but it, it also just kind of emphasizes that their margin of error is really small. Um, they need uh, everyone to be healthy in order to be at their best. Like they can't really afford to have, you know, even their rookie out. Um, uh, this is a game where, um, I think they could have used a little more playmaking, a little more ball handling and some more floor spacing. And that's exactly what you would have gotten with Gary and Scotty. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the vibes afterwards were very positive on the Twitter timeline. People were like, okay, so we hung with a very good team. I mean, you give us a few more free throws. Uh, Pascal Siakam, we're going to get into this in a second, but, you know, he gets that fifth foul. Very questionable call, I must say. Um, but, you know, a few things didn't go their way. But overall, a very positive uh, game for the Raptors. They just, they hung in there and they kind of did some things that were really interesting against the Phoenix Suns. And they, you know, they, they gave them fits. Overall, they made things really, really tough. And that's all you can kind of ask for, especially for the yeah. Raptors when they're like every single game feels like a stepping stone to some degree. And, you know, they're losing, you know, their winning streak has gone away, but, and they got this stretch coming up now, I believe it's 16 of the next 22 games are on the road. So that's going to be kind of season defining for them. But and Pascal and Fred, like you mentioned, they were under heavy, heavy attention throughout. Like, yes, they're missing Scotty, but I mean, the Raptors, I think you and Amon talked about this on Friday Views last week, is that they're so shallow when it comes to guard depth because they don't really want to put Malachi and Delano out there. And Mm -hmm. then Svi is kind of, I don't know, you're going to get like Marco Bellinelli and Fuego version of him or someone who is like complete opposite of that. You don't really know what you're going to get. Yesterday was obviously not the best version of, of, uh, of Svi. And then 
you know, what do you do then? Right. Like they really needed Gary shot making. There was a few of those kickout passes from Pascal or just overall in their offense. Like they were just loading up. I'm talking the Suns, loading up on Fred and they just, he had nowhere to go. Absolutely nowhere to go. And it would have been nice to have that outlet, that kind of release valve. I love using that term, that release valve of a Gary Trent Jr. Who can like, you know, do a little bit of playmaking, but obviously his, his scoring is just so crucial. Other than that though, where do you think the Raptors lost this game specifically? Like, what was the moment where you felt, kind of felt like things really switched? Um, it was actually quite early. When I saw that they were missing free throws, I'm like, okay, tonight might not be their night. Oh, <laughs> so that was like early on in the game when they were consistently missing their free throws because that's kind of uncharacteristic. Um, they, they tend to make those easy shots. So when I saw that they were missing those, I'm like, I don't know if they can handle, like they seem tired. So I don't know if they can handle late fourth quarter um uh back and forth shot making um and yeah they they kind of faltered in the final um minute of the game when um they weren't making the they weren't creating the best shots um pascal took a um mid-range i think 40 seconds left in the game or something Mm -hmm. uh where i think that he could have gotten to the basket he was making all his twos all game so um it would have been nice to see him finish there but at that point like when they're making decisions like that in the in the final minute you know that they're not in it so um yeah I I think that's when they lost it when they're kind of missing all those free throws because um yeah I just those are easy buckets (laughs) I was like they're gonna lose this by like two three points (laughs) and of course here we are even Fred he went three of five he shoots like 88 percent so yeah I think they went 15 of 25 overall in the game so a lot of missed points I think the Suns were 18 of 21 so big discrepancy there uh, that fifth foul for Pascal seemed to be pretty pivotal. Yeah. Questionable call. Nick Nurse has already used his challenge. Um, so there was nothing he could really do there. And Pascal was like pleading to the ref, like, please, please take a look. Just for some reason, just take a look. Because um, at that moment, I mean, the Raptors were up 79-73. And when Pascal came back in the game three minutes later, there was an 11-4 run. And now they're down by one. So- yeah, he was, every time he was on the floor, they were on a run. So um, having to bench him for so long like he was on the bench until five minutes left in the fourth and it was kind yeah. of like they're playing from behind after that and then outside of that the like late game execution a bit of a p- talking point obviously pascal is kind of centered around it but some yeah, questionable decisions and they had one possession where it was like a fred and pascal pick and roll and actually pascal called for it uh ken birch was around uh, around the perimeter and pascal's like you know get out of the way go to your dunker spot and you know, and Fred and I are going to do a pick and roll and they got a great possession out of it. Pascal got a, got a hoop and they didn't run it again. And that was at like three minutes left. And I felt yeah. like, I mean, why don't, why don't you do it again? Like it, obviously the gravity of Fred as a three point shooter. Now you got to cover him behind the three point line, like five feet back because he's got that range. Like it was working and they were all over him throughout the game. And that was a point in the game where, you know, you, you kind of had something that worked. And Pascal got so much room off that possession. They didn't run it again. I was kind of disappointed, actually, because that was a time where, I mean, Raptors don't always do this. Like, I feel like they get kind of a little bit too creative sometimes with their offense, especially in late in games when they have something that really works is that Pascal and Fred pick and roll. Like, it's right there for you. Just use it, especially against the Suns, because there was mismatches being created off of it and they just didn't do it. It's a shame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it uh, It just, it, again, speaks to the absence of Gary and Scotty. Um, I think that the floor looked really crowded at times, whereas, mm. you know, their starting lineup, everyone is uh, capable of shooting threes. Um, but when you remove those two guys, then you have to insert people like Precious and Kem, which crowds the floor a little more and kind of makes running those pick and rolls again and again, maybe a little intimidating because people can sure. just collapse and it can turn ugly quickly. So I guess they didn't want to um, rely on it because um, they had some success um, just driving straight for the basket. I feel like today was, uh, that game was a lot of um, isolation possessions and the, the kickout threes weren't working at one point. So you saw OG trying to get his, Pascal trying to get his, uh, Freddie trying to get his, um, whereas usually when the Raptors play, ball is zipping around. Um, they're, yeah. they're, they're passing up good shots for better shots. So we didn't really get a lot of that. I believe I'm um, looking at it now just so I can get the number right. Between Pascal and OG, they shot four of 18 from three. So yeah. Not a great percentage. <laughs> OG was uh, four of 13. And uh, a lot of those 
passes and a lot of those attempts were off Pascal kickouts and it didn't work out, unfortunately. Yeah, just a bad night. You got yeah. great looks too. It was just a, not a good night for that. It was terrific <clears throat> looks. He did a great job on Devin Booker. Like Devin Booker, he got oh, you know, six fouls. Like he, he fouled out late in the game. Um, and he frustrated him. He was into him. We kind of we saw that last season actually, that how effectively OG can kind of kind of keep Devin Booker at bay and uh, also, you know, attack him on the other end of the court. And it that was working just a little bit, but then yeah. DeAndre Ayton also, he was a he was a factor. I think late in the game, like you had mentioned, with the crowding of the paint, because you had Ken Birch out there, you had Chris Boucher out there. Now DeAndre Ayton, like he's already a pretty imposing figure when it comes to guarding Pascal. And he's had some success, you know, in recent uh, in recent games or prior matchups. And now that the space isn't there, now Pascal is kind of going up against Ayton. And that's not a great matchup necessarily. Yeah. I think that's one of the players that I think Pascal might have a little bit of issues with because he's got that mobility and the length. And uh, he blocked him once, and then he had that, you know, miss late in the game as well. So, but also Aiden, I mean, shouts out to him. I think I heard the uh, Monty Williams and Devin Booker, they were saying after the game that at halftime, they kind of got on him a little bit because he only had one rebound, saying, big fella, you oh. got to step it up here. And then yeah. after that, he had eight rebounds in the second half. And late in the game, he got a, he corralled the ball. He had a screen assist with that Devin Booker bucket and just, you know, being an absolute dis- disruptor for the Raptors. So, Couple of factors there. Obviously, Jay Crowder somehow, some way. I can't believe what he did in that second quarter. Man, he was just like hitting nonstop threes. And if he oh wasn't doing that, <laughs> Raps could have got off to a huge lead. But he kept them afloat, definitely. He was making contested shots. Like it was uh when role players go off, like it kind of like I want to see the stars battle it out. <laughs> I know. Jay Crowder, he's either gonna go four or four or all of eight. But, yeah, like I, I love when people show like a shot of his last like 10 games. <laughs> it's like the Raptors one sticking out of the bunch. Of course, of course, of course. That's how she goes. That's how she goes. Was this a statement game for the Raptors? What are your thoughts on that? Um, If, if they were at full health, it definitely would have been whether they won or lost. I feel like it would have mm-hmm. been that litmus test game where you could be like, OK, what does this team at full health look like against the best of the best? Uh, but because they were injured. Um, it kind of makes it hard to um, use it as a statement game, especially if it was a loss, since it was a loss. But at the same time, it's very hard. Like a lot of people were saying no moral victories, but it's the regular season. We can have moral victories. We can say take things and we could take things from losses as well as wins because, you know, ultimately it doesn't matter. It matters in the postseason. No, there are no moral victories in the postseason, but we can have as many as we want in the regular season. And um, yeah, it's hard not to walk away. Um, it's hard not to walk away encouraged from this. Um, I feel like they, they just played their best. There was no, they were playing so hard. That's why I love this game and why that's why people were saying they had a playoff atmosphere. Everyone was putting in their full effort. Um, there was no slacking. There was no, you know, we, they could have very easily had every reason to get run out of the gym. Um, but they yeah. did not, they, they, you know, stood their ground. They looked like they had it at many times. They got it out to a nice lead right in the beginning. Um, and yeah, it's hard not to walk away encouraged seeing uh, Fred and Pascal still play well, despite all of the um, attention focused on them. Yeah, I think, I think as a Raptor fan, I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit already, but uh, there should be a lot of positivity from this game, a statement game. I mean, who knows, like you said, an L is an L. You didn't win the yeah, game. Exactly. And uh, I mean, the Suns, like they're one of the best clutch teams in the NBA. So oh, you know, they kind of their clutch record during the broadcast. What is it? What is it was like 13 and three or something when it comes to close games. And I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> as soon as Chris Paul came around that screen, it was going to take that shot from a run free throw. On. I'm like, man, that's going in. I think it went around the rim. He had like four bounces or whatever. It was Kawhi Leonard-esque. But uh, I'm like, that's going to go in because that's his shot. That's like you see him do it. Yeah. yeah, he does that night and day. And that's that's a gimme for him. Um, but I think when it comes to just kind of like implementing their vision and doing it against a very good team and afterwards, I mean, CP was just saying like, man, like they're a tough team to, to like, you got to fight to, to keep up with them, keep up with them. And on like a night by night basis, if the Raptors are able to do this night in, night out, obviously you need to have, you know, your, your healthy team. But when like a Ken Birch and Chris Boucher and Preston Chu are coming in and just being physical and being a problem on the offensive uh, offensive boards and using their size and, you know, being able to guard guards on the perimeter so you can avoid yeah. having to get into kind of those mismatches and things like that. Like they're a very, very, very hard team to score against. 
and they got to play physical. And I think like with this game, if they're able to kind of, you know, hone in on this, this effort that they showed, it's going to help them, you know, be a really, really tough team to play, play against night in, night out. Like right now, I mean, we're going to get into it in a little bit, but they're 20th in defensive rating. That's not a Raptor team. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> that yeah. game against the, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the game against the Cavs, giving up 144 points when they were like, you know, COVID riddled probably didn't help, but they're still trying to figure out who they are on the defensive end. And once they're able to figure that out, hopefully they do that over the next 16, 20 games, which are mostly on the road. I think you're going to kind of figure out who they're going to be. And it's kind of just about like focus, focus. How can you sustain the effort? What about Chris Boucher? What were your thoughts on actually? I mean, overall, Chris Boucher, he's kind of had like a Jekyll and Hyde season so far. <laughs> um, but what were your yeah. thoughts on on him and kind of his his new outlook? His effort has been crazy. Like I, I the last how long has it been going on for? I'm going to say the last week of games, I want to say. Yeah, um, he's just been simplifying it when Chris <laughs> Boucher simplifies it, focuses on um the, the foundational aspects of the game, um, getting his rebounds, being opportunistic, looking to do those putbacks, looking to grab the offensive rebounds, uh, looking to play defense correctly, communicate on defense. Um, he just looks like so much, he looks like a so much better, like a much better player because when he complicates the game for himself, that's when we see all of his deficiencies kind of come to the surface. And it's not even fair to him because he's a great player. But yeah. when he has the um, defensive foundation nailed, he he benefits from it because he has a couple of offensive moves. Like he has a couple of things that he can do on offense. He's a great roller. Um, he can do his offensive rebounds. Uh, I, I would trust him to take a three. Like he's not the best three point shooter, but I don't think it's a wasted possession. If it's a kick out to Chris Boucher at the wing or something, like it's not a wasted possession. Um, but when you consider all of the things that he can do on offense, when he has that defensive foundation nailed, um, he can be such a great player. And that's what we've been seeing the last couple of games. Like when he is doing the little things, the bigger things mm -hmm. and getting his nut points on the board come a lot more easily to him. So um, I hope that he continues it. I hope that he realizes he kind of captured lightning here and that it's, it's something he could totally sustain because it's not reliant on outrageous three-point shooting. It's not reliant on crazy shot making, uh, people ignoring him on defense. It's not reliant on garbage time. He's playing, yeah. you know, yeah. great minutes alongside the starters. Um, and it's just, it's great for his value. Stick to the script, stick to the yeah, script. Keep it <laughs> uh, for those wondering 37 minutes, 13 points, 16 rebounds, gave CP three, a cut lip, cut his lip on a, <laughs> on a defensive rebound and also block CP three. So that block with like a minute 15 left. That was crazy. That was very Chris Boucher right there. <laughs> oh, that was great. He came out of nowhere. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, so I, I hear you. I mean, it'd be really cool if he can establish himself as a rotation piece, but that is remains to be seen. Still lots of juggling happening on that bench. Closing up the Suns conversation on that game, Devin Booker got into it with the Raptors mascot. <laughs> what were your thoughts on that? Is he soft for calling out the Raptors mascot and getting in his grill a little bit? <laughs> Yeah, because I don't, it's not even about sportsmanship for me. It's like, there's a person in that suit. <laughs> like, you don't have to take it so seriously. Um, they're probably like, probably tremendously like embarrassed. Um, you, I don't even think mascots want to be noticed by players. <laughs> I think they just want to entertain the fans. And, um, you know, he was putting on a show for the t television, for the broadcast. Uh, but yeah, like, what are you doing? You're in an empty <laughs> arena. The Raptors are going through enough. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> I feel and like he was kind of petty. He had, he had no one that he could um, stare down in the crowd. So I think he wanted to develop some, you know, um, say some motivation. <laughs> yeah. After the game he was asked about it, he was just like, oh, I mean, I'm just like kind of flexing pretty much. Like I knew that if I said something that I, I could get him probably moved out of the way. And he did. Cause yeah. that's because then he, the mascot went to the sideline. I mean, I highly doubt he was actually distracting him. Like it's not like the mascot has like a 40 inch vert. Right. Him like doing his like little, <laughs> my version, like my jumping ability, 17 inches or whatever it is, is it going to distract Devin Booker? But I guess, I mean, do you flex if you can. And I guess Devin Booker decided to do that. It's not going to help people who, I mean, he was the one who said he has a mama mentality. I don't think Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, would have been bothered by uh, a <laughs> who mascot. Knows? Who knows, actually? <laughs> True. You, know, you never <laughs> know. You never know. And also, he's kind of a Kardashian now. And that, again doesn't help his uh his credibility 
in my eyes. But I mean, what do I know? It is what it is. The Raptors, like I said, heading out to play a lot of road games coming up and it's going to be kind of season defining for them. They're going to have to kind of find their way. A lot of teams like going through stretches like this because it is a time where you're able to bond, mesh, just tends to be a little bit more practice time. You're kind of away from your families, unfortunately, and you're just going to be kind of locked in on playing basketball and hopefully they can stay healthy. Gary Trent, Scotty Barnes, they're both not expected to be out a long time. So you get those yeah. guys back and you can kind of figure out who your bench pieces are because it's very much in flux at the moment. And then maybe they can continue this stretch. They are not far away from a top six spot. I believe they're only a game or two out. Cleveland Cavaliers, unfortunately, have experienced a lot of injuries. Ricky Rubio, Colin Sexton. So there's a there's some potential there for the Raptors to get in that top six or even more because I mean, apparently, I mean, I don't want to spoil this too much, but apparently the 76ers are looking to send out Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons. They're going to package $80 million somehow. I'm not sure how a team's going to kind of match that, but whatever. So uncertainty there as well. We'll see what happens. Moving on to some true or false questions. And we kind of just talked about Chris Boucher a little bit, but I'm going to ask you this. Chris Boucher is a rotation piece going forward for the rest of the season. True or false? Um, That's I'm going to say true. Hesitantly. <laughs> I would say hesitantly because I still feel like Chris, um, I am going to need more data <laughs> of him playing this way. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like it's, he's still situational for me. You know, yeah. there are probably, I don't know if there are people on the Raptors I'd rather see on the court because <laughs> it's very thin on bench. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I'm going to say true. He's, he's a rotational guy. Until he yep. does something that warrants being benched, uh, being put in the doghouse for multiple games, but I don't think so. He, I think he's, I think he's found, found a formula that works for him lately. Looks like he's been watching film or something, so I trust that he keeps up this play. But yeah, I'm gonna say he's a rotation piece. I talk myself into it. <laughs> there you go. I, I'm gonna say yes as well, but it's only because they have to go with someone off the bench. And I mean, yeah, they gonna, somebody they need kind a body of, right. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. And if he's, if he's giving them a glimmer of hope and he's giving them some really steady minutes, then I mean, why the hell not? Well, Nick put him out there for, you know, 10, 15 minutes, but he is going to play a start as very heavy minutes. And so if they do stay healthy, it's still going to be those five guys that we are accustomed to seeing. But if his three point shot, like, I don't know what happened to his three point shot. He's like, I mean, man, he's at like 20% or something like that, 25. And last season, he shot 38% from three. If he's able uh, yeah. to. I think it's like, yeah. I think it's, he's, his real shooting is probably somewhere in between that. I think it's kind of a natural regression and that he's probably not a 38% shooter and he's probably mm-hmm. not a 20 whatever percent shooter. So, yeah, the previous season, he was around 32%. That could be kind of where it levels out around 32. Yeah. But yeah. If he's just able to hit a couple of wide open threes, you talk about, you know, floor spacing and not being able to get any of that from Preston Chu and Ken Birch. Well, this is a way that he can kind of separate himself from those two guys. Ken Birch, I think is going to play minutes regardless <coughs> because he's, you know, the girthiest of the bunch. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they're going to need his defensive presence because he still is, you know, they're probably a better defensive team when he's on the court. Right. Yeah. Actually in some degree, Preston Chu too, but I think you're going to, you're, Especially the two, it tends to get in the way a little bit. And I think Ken Burch just has a bit more of a veteran presence. He knows where, what his yeah, role is and he's accepted it. And he's like, I will do what I'm told. And that's what I'm going to do. He knows his script, right? Yeah. Chris Boucher is still figuring it out. But I think because of what he offers on the, on the defensive end, his energy, it's like, it, that's what you need off your bench, right? You need energy players. Some players who are going to just, you know, kind of capitalize on chances and do things that the starters aren't necessarily going to do. And Chris Boucher does that. So- yeah. I'm with you. How many minutes? Who the hell knows? But yeah, true. Chris Boucher, you are a rotation piece. Moving on to Fred Van Bleet. His recent stretch that he's been doing, that's kind of got him in more so into the all-star conversation. And I think he's going to be an all-star one way or another. But do you think, is this who he is now? Like, is he a 45% from three shooter? I'd say he's, I'd, I'd say right now he's on a, uh, like a red hot streak. Um, if, if this is who he is now, we're talking best player in the NBA. <laughs> I don't know if that's the case. But I do think Fred is like, I think that Fred at his best, but not on this, um, you know, more unsustainable streak is probably like a top 15 player. Like, I think that he's really made, mm. people are making it sound like it's come out of nowhere. 
But when you factor in the fact that he's just as good on defense as he is on offense, um, and you factor in the fact that he's been showing, like, it's been exponential growth, but it's been steady. Like, we've seen everything that he's added to his game over the course of a few years. You can track the progression. Um, Last season, he was doing this, but he didn't have the finishing skills. He added the finishing skills. That's what we're seeing the product of. We're seeing a product of a, a improved mid-range, not even improved mid-range shooting. He was good at mid-range shooting last season, but it wasn't as, the the, the frequency was um, lesser. So he's doing it at a higher volume. He's improved as a finisher. Um, and it, I think we're just seeing a more complete game that's been the um, product of years of steady, trackable, traceable uh, growth. So it's not something that's come out of nowhere. So um, I think that as he is, no, he's not going to be shooting 35. He's not going to be making 35 points a night. Um, he's not always going to be capable of closing out games. Like last night, he struggled against the length. He's going to encounter that. Against smaller teams, I'm more comfortable with Fred being the closer. Against um, bigger teams, I'd like to see Scotty, Pascal, OG handle that in the final minutes. I think it should be a, uh, uh, just a matter of making the best shot, not a matter of, okay, let's make this guy our closer, blah, blah, blah. But... Um, yeah, I think that Fred is just a legitimate, um, you know, among the top point guards in the NBA. I think that especially it's very interesting because as he's ascending now, he's really getting into his prime and uh, Steph Curry's getting older. So I feel like the case for best um, point guard is something that a lot of young point guards are going to be vying for. We already see mm. John Morant making his case. Uh, we see Fred Van Vliet making his case. So um, it's going to be really fun seeing the next like three years seeing this um uh all the players battling out for that title uh you know as fred as um steph curry gets older so um yeah i'm excited to see it pan out john Morant, man i think he's going to be most improved this year he's like he's uh five points better than last season he's around 24 points or something like that so i think he's got that kind of solidified but on on fred i, I agree with you i mean he may not be 45 percent for three but all season but he is shooting seven percent better on twos and that's kind of what you were talking about. He's being, you know, his change of pace. He's very opportunistic with his finishing around the rim. He's not kind of like, I think a few seasons ago, you know, we'd see him just, he'd, you know, bulldoze down there. You get blocked by Joel Embiid or whoever. And it's like, all right, well, at least he tried, Fred. Thumbs up. At least he tried. You got in there and you did it. But um, now he's like, he's being very choosy with when he does that. His basketball IQ is kind of taking over. Um, his change of pace, his screen manipulation. I mean, the warping of defense is like now you have to really game plan for Fred Van Vliet in his three-point shooting, and then he's using that ability to kind of create offense for other people. Yesterday was an example where, you know, if you don't have the pieces around him to be successful, like he's missing Gary Trent in three-point shooting, and you have like, you know, Ken Birch and Preston the Chew out there, not just for Fred, for anyone, like there's going to be a lot less points available like he's gonna have to be hitting shots from half court and well it seems like he's able to do that now or at least a little bit inside of it but it's going to be a lot harder to to make those shots and to be you know as effective on the offensive end but now that he's kind of figured out different elements of his game and he's kind of established that he is going to be this guy night in night out who you have to game plan against from the three-point line he's going to be a lot more off ball I think which I think we're probably more used to seeing him there I think he can be on ball but for the Raptors they want Scotty. They want Pascal with the ball in their hands. So you, then you have Fred Van Vliet in the corner and he's just waiting for an open three. And that yeah, kind of grab. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. favorite is when Scotty or Pascal are running down the court. Fred is trailing a little bit. Everyone's trying to wall off the paint from Scotty or Pascal. And then they kind of mm. just throw it back to um, Fred. That's like a very easy um, few points every single quarter that they've managed to get. Uh, before teams adjust but that was missing the last game or it was just it was too too crowded to do so um but yeah that's also another thing that's been great about Fred is that he's just as good off ball as he is on ball I think Mm. before there was always he's far better off ball he's a shooting guard but now he's really made the case that he's equal on both sides of the spectrum uh he's really established himself as a point guard before it was like he was this guy's undersized scoring shooting guard um, because he struggled with the, um, he, he wasn't always looking to pass. I said, should have said that he struggled with the passing. He still struggles with the pocket passing. I feel like if there's two defenders on um, Fred on the, off the pick and roll, he really struggles to get that wrap around the uh, pass and bounce yeah. it to the roller. That was so easy for Kyle. Um, but outside of that, um, he, outside of that, he, um, 
has really kind of um, balanced those two sides of his game, whereas before it was very, very unbalanced. Sure. Having yourself a good pick and roll partner would be beneficial. Do you see the CP3 DeAndre Ayton combo? Like, I mean, oh that's, a God, rare, yeah. that's a rare combo. I mean, CP is a point God for a reason, but like they're so in sync with everything. And then when you have that kind of connect connection, like Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka, like that was automatic. And if you had someone like yeah. that, right, it'd be cool if he could kind of create that chemistry with Pascal a little bit. We'll see how that goes. But that would really, again, a different dimension to his game is going to make him that much more effective. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's like, I feel like there are two things that are missing to his game. It's mastering that kind of pocket pass and also um, nailing the um, he, he's been attempting it more these games. I don't know if you saw my tweets. <laughs> I shouldn't give myself that credit, but I feel like um, the one thing that I think he's missing offensively is the running pull up three or you're running into it that we saw from the Kyle. Kyle it, yeah. it has, you know, that heat check three. Um, yeah. Fred kind of will roll into one when he's wide open, um, but Kyle would be running full speed, stop on a dime, yeah. get some height on his um, shot. Um, and we've been seeing, I don't know if you've noticed, but Fred has been doing that the last couple of day, games. Mm. Um, I think he knows also that it's just one thing that he if, he, if he masters that, like I don't see a more complete point guard in the NBA at in their prime. Like it's very hard to imagine that. No, that's a good point because with Fred, like when he came in the NBA, I always found that his release release was like really, really slow, like painfully slow. And now I find that he does such a good job of gathering his, uh, his hands, are, his hands are ready, but all of his shot power comes from his legs. And so when he does get like, it's a catch and shoot through, he's coming off the screen. He's already like getting himself ready to go. Like his legs are bent and he's coming off the screen. He's ready to shoot just like that. The, uh, the Kyle Lowry pull up three, you know, in transition that I'm sure that's something that he's going to be working on. I'm, it feels like he's just like, you know, off season, he's looking at Kyle Lowry's games. Like, All right, so this is what Kyle did. I'm going to master that. I'm going to master that. I'm going to master that. At some point, we could have the conversation to really think about like, is Fred Van, Van Vliet going to be better than Kyle Lowry? At some point, I mean, it may sound crazy, but his numbers it's compared to Kyle at this age aren't that different. And you see the, the three-point shooting was better, is better with Fred. Um, maybe the finish around the basket is kind of questionable because Kyle was like a what just had this knack about it, but it's not bad. So it's not crazy. It's not. It's a. It's, I feel like it's something we can start already asking because for age twenty seven, Fred is better. <laughs> like he's better by most metrics. Um, he's he's already kind of matching like prime Kyle's game, thirty one year old Kyle Lowry's game, mm -hmm. which is absolutely insane. Uh, whether he can exceed that is, you know, still remains to be seen. If this is like his very best, then I guess we're getting the same um, on court production. Obviously, Kyle had the IQ, which made him so special, which made him in that upper echelon of NBA players. Um, and we'll see how that pans out. But um, Fred right now, like when he takes over games and he really starts rolling, it's very reminiscent of 2015 to 2017 Kyle Lowry. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually doing a video uh, on um, DeMar DeRozan's 52-point game. And there were a few possessions late in that game where Kyle Lowry, like you just saw it, like he just took over on both ends of the, of the court. And I was sitting there watching. I'm just like, man, this is just like Freddie in that third quarter versus Jazz. Like on both ends of the court, Freddie was everywhere. He was getting blocks. He was getting steals. He was running in transition. He was hitting pull-up threes. I was like, this is just like Kyle Lowry. This is just like how Fred was that day. So yeah. very, very cool. Yeah. And the last thing I want to say about Fred, and maybe you have some more thoughts too, but getting him off the ball, is going to allow him to use more of his energy on defense. And that is where he is truly special. You see him just kind of flying around and he's always in position, but you know, when a player makes a turn, when he, when he, you know, loses his dribble, when he picks up his dribble, like Fred is always there to just kind of pounce on it and letting him do that as a roaming defender while also finding a way to also still be in position, which is a rare quality that's going to make the Raptors defense so so good yeah leader on both ends of the court which is like you can either you there are a handful of nba players like that in the league hell yeah next true and false <clears throat> true or false question the raptors have a higher ceiling than the 76ers this season true or false well uh, let's see um that's a tough one. Let me lay out the case for both <laughs> before I decide. It so uh, with, the, <laughs> with the with um, the 76ers, they have arguably the best center in the NBA. Um, I feel like when you have a top seven player, so 
your ceiling is kind of like sky's the limit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I feel as though their supporting cast is just kind of up in the air. I feel like the Raptors supporting cast is just a collection of, when you talk about the very best, when you talk about the starters, um, I feel like you put Joel Joel Embiid on a team like that. So you remove um, our best. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Player from the squad, you remove Fred or Pascal or someone, and you put Fred, if you put Joel and B, that's a championship team. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, when, you, when you kind of level it out that way, it, it's hard. And, and since their future is so up in the air right now, we're hearing rumors about, uh, we're hearing rumors about um, Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons being packaged together. Uh, Woj said that it, it's not true, but then you have, um, um, well, who was it? I think it was Spears who said that um, that he's hearing rumblings that they're looking to remove both players from the roster. Mm. Um, it, it, their future is just so up in the air, and I don't know how much how, they're they're very reliant on their offense running on the back of uh, a player like Tyrese Maxey, who is very young. He's so talented. He's so tremendously talented. Oh, yeah. Best driver in the NBA, and he's a guard, uh, or he's I think he's the best driving guard in the NBA. Um, as a second year player so I, th- I feel like a combination of things their future being a little unsure um, their roster being a little untrustworthy being so reliant on a very youthful player um, it, it, those kind of things make it seem that um, I feel like I would put the higher ceiling with the Raptors considering that they have so many players on in their prime or on the cusp of their prime or mm. Um, who are kind of just a Pandora's box of possibilities like Scotty Barnes. So um, who's to say how, you know, I feel like when you're talking about a player like Fred, when you're talking about a player like Trent, uh, when you're talking about a player like uh, Scotty Barnes, when you're talking about Pascal's improvement this season, it it seems that they're just on a game to game basis. They're just improving kind of um, shooting down the expectations um, and exceeding them. So Who's to say if this is the final form of a player like Trent? We know mm-hmm. it's not the final form of a player like Barnes. Uh, we're seeing Precious putting things together, making fewer mistakes. Um, and if Precious can just minimize his mistakes, his athleticism are alone makes him a, an extremely useful piece for the team. Um, when you factor all these things, I'm going to say that the Raptors have a higher ceiling. But um, I wouldn't, I would, I'd listen to an argument otherwise simply because Joel Embiid is that good. He's, um, yeah an MVP candidate. Like he's been keeping the Sixers afloat or head of the Raptors in the standings without their second best player present. So that's absolutely insane. Ben Simmons, is he the second best player? I guess he must be. I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Who knows? After this vanishing in the playoffs last year, you don't even know if he's a second. I mean, technically, I guess, you know, because financially he's definitely because he's been paid that (laughs) way. But um, now you got Tobias Harris, who's getting like him and Julius Randle are both getting the, the treatment from their cities. Like Ugh. Nick fans are just all over Randall. Tobias Harris is, you know, yelling at Sixers 
the Sixers crowd and everything. Like it's not, it's not great. And so that's why I pose a question for, for this season, because I think, you know, going year, going forward, probably the Raptors, if you just look at, you know, age of age of your prime players, age oh, yeah. of your, your players that are coming up, like the Raptors are in a very, very good position. They use that temp experience very well to figure out their franchise and they're going to be good for, for a long time. Championship caliber, who knows, obviously, you know, Masai is going to pick and choose what he wants to do that. You add a, a couple bench players, you know, to the Raptors this season, they're probably going to be a much, much better team, but uh, this season, Joel Embiid, when you have him, like he is such a problem and he is, you know, despite, you know, the, the efforts of Ben Simmons and uh, I guess his inability to take jump shots or unwillingness to take jump shots, Joel Embiid is continuing to redefine himself as an NBA player. And he is such a monster everywhere. And you can't really guard him. Like I've talked about this with Pascal Siakam is that he has to be able to extend his range and be a, an effective offensive player further away from the basket. It sounds obvious, but that's what you have to do. That's what some of the best players in the NBA are is, or best scorers is that they can score from everywhere. And it doesn't matter what you do. They're going to get their 25 or whatever. And Pascal still is still figuring out how to do that. Joel Embiid, meanwhile, has done that. Now he is a great three-point shooter. Now he has a different, you know, different dribble combinations around the perimeter, around the mid-range to kind of find his shot when teams are overloading on him. And when you have that, you have a player that is, like you said, MVP candidate. I, I'm not unsure about their supporting cast. You know, without Ben Simmons now, like Tyrese Maxey, bless his heart, he's a great player and he's going to be a tremendous player for their franchise. But there's a lot of shooters and a lot of players that, you know, I think they're going to encounter some teams in the playoffs once they key in on the 76ers yeah. and how to stop them, that you're going to see the limitations where you just have a lot of shooters, but not a lot of drivers, not a lot of guys who can operate in the pick and roll, who are great cutters. Yep. I and mean, Danny Green, he's a decent, you know, obviously a decent player. He's a championship player, you know, three in his career, uh, three championships in his career, but he's not the person that he was years ago. And so there's limitations on who they are on a lot of their supporting cast. And that's going to show itself. That's why, you know, with the Raptors, we don't know what their ceiling is this season because they're still figuring this out. The Suns game the other day or last night was a really good uh, step in the right direction. And the fact that they're missing Gary Trent and Scotty, granted, you know, they shouldn't be this, this contingent on having the yeah. starting lineup, but like they're going to keep on improving. They're going to keep on getting better. And Pascal seems to have really turned a corner. I think this is the best version of himself. People are like, oh, we wanted to get back to, you know, pre-pandemic P. I'm like, no, this is better than that player. Yeah. He is much yeah. Better, right. So he is like, he is probably one of the, you know, the best players at his position. Actually, actually the next, next question, not to spoil it. Um, so you factor all this stuff in. We don't know what the Raptors are going to be at uh, come January or April. We don't know. We don't know what the 76ers are going to be. We don't know who's going to be on their roster. And that's why I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure what the 76 are going to be. I'm not sure how far they can go. And that's actually one of the teams that, you know, if, if Joel Embiid does go down, he gets, you know, misses five games or something like that. Those are like, feels like guaranteed L's. And where do you, where are you now in the standings? Obviously Joel Embiid, great player and everything, but he's he tends to miss a couple of games in a season. You know, he tends yeah. to miss 10, 12 games. If that happens to, to him, how is it going to affect the 76er season? Now we're talking the 76ers and the Cavaliers, two teams that are in the top six who have some, who have some injuries. Injuries can happen any day of the week, but could be a problem yeah. for them. Uh, next question, <clears throat> true or false, Pascal Siakam is the third best power forward in the East right now. So I say third because first and second and whatever order you want to do it are Giannis and KD. Um, over his past 10 games, just so everyone knows, Pascal, he's averaging 24 points, 10 rebounds, seven assists, 48% from, from the field and 35% from three contenders. I guess you could say Jason Tatum, Demontis Bonus. Those are a few guys to keep in mind, but Yasmin, I pose the question to you. Is he the third best power forward in the Eastern conference? Um, when you list those names, yeah, I, I, yeah, he, he's ahead of Julius Randle. He's ahead of. Um, Tatum. Yeah, I need, I need to put Randall in there, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I was just saying the other day, it's a really bad season for um, the uh, better than Pascal crew. <laughs> I feel like the season mm. has been a return to reality for a lot of them. Um, mm. We we've seen him uh, turn a corner where he has so many counters to when things are taken away from him. If you take away his finishing ability, He's become so skilled at creating shots for others. Uh, like I, when I think of playmaking power forwards, 
there's only Giannis that's better than him that I can think of. Like you don't have mm-hmm. AD doing that. You don't. Have, there are so many players you don't have doing that. He's not getting attention he needs right now for it, um, because I feel like he's people still have that bad taste in their mouth from the publicity of his poor season. Uh, yeah. his poor postseason of the past but we saw how quickly narratives can change for players we saw how it changed for DeMar DeRozan it seemed like there was no returning at some points for DeMar from the mm. you know I feel like he reached a point of no return but he is America's sweetheart <laughs> right now um oh, yeah. and you know who knows I feel like Pascal's just one um g- good streak away from um reestablishing himself as among the better po- um, power forwards but um his uh his um two point finishing is the best of his career. Um, his three point is hovering near league average now. His playmaking might be the best on the team, but like Fred averages more assists. But I feel like um they are continuous continuously running plays through Pascal through Scotty, um and he might be the best playmaker on the team, arguably. Um, so would you factor all these things? Yeah, I'd say he's the third best um power forward on the team. I'm comfortable with that in the, <laughs> ranking in the, in the Eastern conference. Right? Uh, and he's not going to be a all-star. So, you know, I, <laughs> I, I guess I can just um, tell myself I, he didn't play as many games as maybe he should have to establish his case, but um, yeah, yeah the, the, the recent push, the play of the last, um, I, I, don't, I won't say since, since his return from COVID perhaps it was, um, has just been outrageous. It's one of the better streaks of his career. It's been outshone by, Fred playing um, the best basketball in the NBA. <laughs> I feel like if his co-star wasn't doing yeah. that, we'd be talking about it more. Like yeah. he'll have like a 27 near point, near triple double game. And then Freddie will be there with his like 37 point <laughs> night or something. So um, it's been, it's been tough. Um, but I, I, you know, um, I feel like Pascal's not a, a stats hunter in the least. I think he has those mm. role player roots, which really humble him in the offense. He's not always trying to, uh, impose his will sometimes he'll even like kind of disappear when I want him repeatedly running plays because he's been good um, for an entire quarter or something um, and I think that's what's kept him um, so steady is that he just he knows how to pick his spots if Fred's going to be the lead scorer on the team so be it you know the the ultimate goal is to win games yeah kind of sounds like Damar and Kyle a little bit you know let's just yeah. win games do whatever it needs to be done yeah right you got Fred and Pascal they were under the tutelage of those two players. And not a bad transition. <laughs> We're very lucky. Ter- hey, I tweeted this yesterday. I'm saying like, let's just appreciate this for a second. Like these are two very, very good players, unselfish, extremely talented, you know, putting the team first. They, they, they kind of wrap the identity of the Raptors uh, around very well. They are exactly what Masai and Bobby and Nick want in their star players. So those are hard to find. Like those are really hard players to find, to find players that really um, are the identity of your franchise and who you want to, to emulate. And the Raptors found that. And I think with him, just going back to the question, you know, is he the best third best power forward? I think there's definitely a case to be made for it. I mean, we kind of know what the bonus is. He's having a great season, you know, 20 and 12 or five assists. I can't believe he only makes $18 million a year. I, I didn't really realize that. I, I, I saw that stat a little while ago when the whole like, you know, Pacers fire sale came up. Um, then I kind of forgot about it. I was like, oh, wait, he's very underpaid. That's that's definitely a player. 2012 and five assists. That's the player who should be making a lot more money. So his yeah. agent, not not good. Not good. <laughs> and then Tatum, I mean, his three-point shooters are like really falling off a cliff. He's like obviously he's 23 standards, years old. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> from his standards. Yeah. And I mean, he's 23 years old. He's gonna get better. He seems like he's still growing, apparently. Um, all this stuff, like he is absolutely the probably the player with a better ceiling but this season with where each player is i think you can definitely say that you know pascal is the third best power forward in the nba and yeah i agree with everything that you said and i think that has to be appreciated when does he get his respect i actually here's a new true and false question for you pascal siakam will hit a game winner this year um you know, I'm not, uh, I don't know. I, it's, it's very hard <laughs> to <know>. predict <laughs> that. Uh, I feel like he deserves to, um, yeah. but I don't think people realize how we, we, there's this notion that, oh, he's always missing the game winners in games, but I don't think people realize how rare it is for a player to hit game winners. Most players are missing 90% of their game winning attempts yeah. um, in the final few minutes. Like if that was the case, we'd have game winners from uh, like we'd have what happened with DeMar DeRozan with his back-to-back game winners on a, a night-to-night basis for a lot of teams and a lot of players, mm-hmm. but that's not the case. DeMar made history. That's why it was such a huge deal 
because it's not the norm at all. Um, so, you know, what's interesting is that he's missed, he's missed his game winners, but um, his, he's among the better um, crunch time offensive players in the NBA. Like he, I think he's like top 20 or something. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, he does not become uncharacteristic in the clutch. Um, he's still taking the same shots, doing the same thing. It's very rare to see him make a mistake. I think last season we saw mistakes, genuine mistakes. We saw like, I remember double dribbles, uh, the double dribble versus the Knicks. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we saw genuine mistakes. We saw blocked shots and stuff. Um, that hasn't been the case this season. So I think it's coming. I think I think he's been um, focusing on um, the, getting everything right. Um and if he doesn't, if he's not too hard, I feel like he mentioned this, that he's trying not to be too hard on himself on a night to night basis. Cause that's when you get in your head, you start to become your, your biggest critic. Um, so yeah. if he just starts trusting his abilities, I don't see why not. If he's making um, such a great percentage of his mid range shots and his twos, of course, they're going to go in, in the final few minutes of showing a few seconds eventually. So um, yeah. hopefully the Raptors are not in that situation <laughs> where they need a game winner to win a game. Um, that would be uh, not preferable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like he, he's a player that I've never had issues with in the clutch. The last few years, he's been like a guy you need on the court in the final few seconds, him and Fred. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I'd, ra- I'd rather the Raptors do what they've been doing this season, which is kind of do like a um, closing by committee kind of thing. Everyone go for the rebound. Everyone try and make that good shot, um, try and create that great shot. So yeah, yeah. I, he deserves to hit a game one of the season. <laughs> I was going to say exactly that. that like, I don't want to answer this question. I'm going to say it true because I don't want to say false because I want this for him. There are so many people who are yeah. so critical of him unfairly. I said game winner, but I kind of meant like, I should have said like, go ahead basket late in the game or something like that, because that's kind of where people want him to be is that he, he's always missing those shots. They say like that shot last night against DeAndre Ayton, very makeable shot. It didn't go in. Yeah, It is what it is. And, but people look at that like, oh, here he goes again here. Pascal missing yeah. shots, but it was a good shot. Right. And it was in the flow of the offense. That's a spot in the, on the court that he's very comfortable at now, maybe not so much last season, but you know, the misses last year, like I think about that Timberwolves one where he missed that layup and I was like, bro, what is going on? Yeah, that was unclear. He had um, floaters blocked by Aiton versus the Suns last season as well. Yeah. Um, If that, if it's just missing a shot, you know, it's short mm. or it's hard, it's uh, long, or if it's in and out, then that happens to the best of them. Sure. But um, the, I think that what we should be watching for is that he's creating these looks and that they're exactly. clean and that he's making the correct decision. Is he trying to go over three people or is he kicking out to the correct player? So yes. yeah, that's, that's, that's I think how we should be watching it. It came up again in that Bucks game. We got uh, blocked by Bobby Portis when he was driving to the bucket. Again, that was late in the game, but it was a good attempt. And sometimes it is okay to give credit to the other team saying, oh, look, insert here made a nice play because those will happen. Bobby Portis is now a championship player. He he can execute in the crunch time and he's uh, obviously very athletic. He can make things happen. So that's going to happen as well. So let's just keep that in mind when evaluating Pascal Siakam in crunch time. He's making the right plays, like Yasmin said. So that is what you ask for. He's not shying away from the moment. He's making good reads. And eventually, I'm sure one of these will go in. And I just hope it happens sooner than later because people got to get off his back. But also now he doesn't care about that. And that's important too. You cannot care about making or missing those shots because there's yeah. a new one coming on very shortly. And OG yeah. kind of has that mentality already. Bless his heart. You know, I yeah. shoot to miss. <laughs> OG almost has too much of that mentality. <laughs> like his, his shot selection has been very interesting lately, but you know, he's young, he's experimental, yeah. but it's, it's been kind of funny <laughs> seeing yeah. him play lately. I feel like there are times where he's kind of, he's, got himself into a mode now where he's like i haven't shot in a while so i'm gonna take this guy yeah. one-on-one <laughs> i'm gonna I'm like, force something <laughs> yeah i'm like i'm not sure if you're there yet og you're very good you're very talented and i think there are spots on the court certain matchups where you should definitely be given the ball because of yesterday because of circumstances no scotty no gary trent he was given more shots and he should be he had a, overall he had a decent game but uh yeah, yeah maybe og's got a Roll it back just a little bit on some possessions because when it goes <laughs> ugly, man, it goes ugly, 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 ugly. Um, a couple more for you, Yasmin. I'll let you head on out with your day. The Raptors will finish top 10 in defensive rating and offensive rating at the end of this season. Um, 
what's the offense right now? I know the defense is there. I believe they're ninth and the, uh, really? yeah, they're ninth. I believe that they were a couple days ago. I'm not sure what happened yesterday, but yeah, they're up there. And then defensively okay. they're now 20th. The defensive rating, I feel like is very de- deceiving because mm. yeah, you think about how often the starters who are the five, you know, best defenders on the team have been out of the rotation throughout the season it's been very hard to have them all on the court at once yeah at their best to me they're top five defense when everyone is in when everyone is present I feel like they can defend nearly every team in the NBA I feel like they'd have trouble with maybe one or two and those are like the teams with Embiid and Jokic (laughs) like that's the only ones that I think will present challenges and I think that Nick Nurse can scheme his way into competitiveness even against those teams. So um, defensively, it's very misleading. I see a lot of teams prior to playing the Raptors, a lot of fans would be like, um, oh, they don't have a center. Oh, their defensive rating is very low. They should be being able to take advantage of blah, blah, blah. I saw it with Suns fans yesterday. Um, uh, and it's, it's, it's very deceiving. They have, their starting five has no defensive holes. I don't know if they, people realize um, how rare that is in the NBA that, their entire starting five um, excels positionally <laughs> defensively. That's absolutely sure. insane. Um, so, yeah, I think in that case, um, it's. I feel like they can be top 10 by the end of the year, barring injuries. Half a season, I feel like, is enough to kind mm-hmm. of find that rhythm. I, I, I can't believe that we're at the halfway mark in the season. I feel like this season has felt long. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like, I, I hear what you're saying. Like you have, you know, earlier on the season, I mean, at different points, they were lying on their bench more and, you know, the bench goes out there. There are minus 12 in like six minutes. Guess what? Or not six minutes, like four minutes. All of a sudden now your defensive rating plummets, but the defensive rating, I don't have the stat in front of me, unfortunately, but the defensive rating of their starting lineup is very, very good. And when they're on like the containing and testing, the stunt and recovering, uh, the weak side help, the mucking up driving lanes and just being long. And when they're low men, I mean, this has been a process too for like a Scotty Barnes, for instance, is that they're not overcommitting, they're reading and adapting on the fly. He specifically is doing a much better job of that. And when all this stuff is happening, they are a scary team on the defensive end. And I think to your point, I think they can get back there. There's obviously, there's a lot of good defensive teams this year, I feel like. Maybe it's just me. I was looking at kind of the ranking. No, I agree. I think that that's correct. Like, um, yeah, no, I think that this is um, the the NBA this year is very competitive. I don't sure. recall it being like this for a while. Like yeah. Um, yeah. night to night, I feel like there are very few guaranteed wins there. I feel like before half the season was a guaranteed win for the Raptors. Perhaps that speaks to the competitiveness of the team or how good the team was. But I feel like um, night to night, we could be playing the Pistons. And I'll be like, you all better watch out for that Cade. <laughs> that Cade, Cade Cunningham is really good. Like, yeah. he may single-handedly beat you. Because, yeah. I, yeah, I just feel like that's become the norm. Like, there's no safe win. The Bucks just lost twice to the Hornets. Yeah. Uh, and the Hornets are not a bad team, but the Bucks are better. And before, I feel like that was those were guaranteed situations. That's not been the case lately. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, and all that considered, I think because they're 20th right now and because there's so many good defensive teams, you know, an injury yeah. happens all of a sudden the Raptors could have, they could be a little, a little bit lackluster now. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if they get back in the top 10, maybe they don't, but I think my hot take is that their offensive rating will stick, stick around the top 10 area because I think they're really starting to figure out how they're going to be able to take advantage night in, night out against different teams. And, you know, Gary Trent being out there or being out of the lineup yesterday kind of exposed some of their weaknesses that they just don't have like that shooting guard who can hit shots when you don't have a shooting During guard droughts, who yeah. can like, who can actually hit shots. It's, really a problem like Svi is being up and down Utah was 04 yesterday I believe he's missed a few games yada yada but they really need that shooting guard to hit shots and I think they're probably gonna get to a point maybe or they're gonna probably just throw a lot of those guys to the side and they're gonna say all right we're gonna move OG to the two Pascal to the three or Scotty to the three or whatever and they're gonna put Ken Birch in there because they just they need that shooting guard to hit shots it's such a problem for their offense it takes away all of its mojo and yeah um, yeah it, 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 those droughts become very prominent when, when they're at full health, the offense is just very, um, it, I, I, they have the, that read and react style. I feel like they yeah. go into sets. If it doesn't work, they go into the next one immediately. It's very, um, it's very, um, 
taut. Like it's just very it's fluid. Uh, yeah, yeah. The flow is amazing. Like when you're watching mm-hmm. it, um, they have a, an overabundance of playmakers on the court. They have shooting. They have um, sh- tough shot makers in Fred in um, uh, Gary Trent and in um, OG when he you know when he's yeah. <laughs> choosing his shots correctly. But um, yeah, when 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 they're when all hands are on deck offensively that i feel like that passes the small test like it, it's very it's it's prominent yeah the read and react is so important too because you can't teach it i was watching the i'm not sure if you saw the celtics and pacers game the other day but the celtics like i don't know what their deal is right now but when it comes to reading and reacting like late in games all it was like jason tatum jalen brown they were going iso lance stevenson who's been awesome for the pacers comes over and doubles all of a sudden everyone's panicking uh, you got Josh Richardson setting like random flare screens and you're like, what are you like? Why are you doing that? You're just like, yeah, I saw that. yeah. And that intuitive nature that the Raptors are gaining through, you know, just having like high basketball IQ players and just playing together. Like they've had such little time with their starting lineup together and they're learning so fast. And so I think with all these kind of things considered, I think they're going to stay around, you know, the top 10 because they're that good offensively and they're going to, you know, read and react and they're going to adapt on the fly and they have really talented players. And that can't be dismissed when you have so many players who, who are willing and capable of working the pick and roll and driving and hitting threes and, uh, you know, making the next pass and being a good, good cutter. That's rare. It's a very rare starting lineup outside of the size that we're talking about. What they have when it comes to the basketball IQ in the starting lineup isn't something every NBA team has. And that should be, that's a kind of a low key part of their success and why they're probably top nine or top 10 in the NBA right now in offensive rating is the abilities of all those players being so good um, when it comes to anticipating what's going to happen next. And so I think they're going to stick around there. I think. (laughs) No, we'll see. Final one for you. Dwayne Casey has been plotting how to beat the Raptors again since November 13th or whatever it was, true or false, because it seems like when Dwayne Casey gets to play the Raptors, he goes into like LeBron James, you know, that meme (laughs) with the heat. Oh yeah. (laughs) That's Dwayne Casey. Every time. No, his, his body beat COVID to play the Raptors on time. (laughs) Like his body, his, his, um, his cells, his immune system responded because he saw the schedule. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he, I feel like, um, I feel like what, I don't want to, I don't want this to sound bad, but I feel like um, being the coach for a rebuilding Pistons team, you got to find the little joys. <laughs> One Indeed. of those little joys is destroying the Raptors, no matter how good they are every single yeah. year. And <laughs> if that's what he needs to continue um, doing what he does in Detroit. And I feel like they have some special pieces there and that they could be turning the corner soon on their long rebuild. Let them have it. But um, yeah, I, I, it's hard to, yeah, you, I can't hate, I can't hate on the competitive nature. You Again, you got to find the little joys. Exactly. Especially these days, you got to find little joys in life. And Dwayne Casey seems to just relish the opportunity to beat the Toronto Raptors. I definitely see him plotting away. I don't even, it's not personal between the players and him. I think it's between him and Nick Nurse. (laughs) Oh, I think you're right. I don't want to say it, but I think there's something, there's something there. I mean, it's kind of odd that your assistant coach becomes the head coach. Yeah. I don't even think it's like, uh, I don't, I think it's a healthy competition thing. I don't think it's like a messy drama thing. But he has nothing against Fred or Pascal or, you know, you know, the little Scotty. I think it's between him and his former yeah. assistant. Remember the following season when the Raptors won their championship and someone asked him about them winning and he's like, yeah, I mean, you give me Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, I probably won a championship too. And I was oh, like, God. okay, coach. Okay, coach. Yep. I'm salt. Yep. I understand. I get it. No, no issues there. But I mean, the Pistons, like they seem to be building something and Dwayne Casey is a kind of a good coach as he showed with the, the Toronto Raptors. When it comes to like, helping a team and players figure out how to win games. He is excellent at that. Establishing um, like, that culture. So he's solid. Yeah. Like he Found teaches the them. Yeah. He <laughs> teaches them how to play the right way. Like I can't hate. Yeah. yeah he's a please a player's coach and he's always been good that way when it comes to winning a championship. I don't know. He won a championship with the Dallas Mavericks as a defensive coach. So obviously that pedigree does exist, but who knows? I'm just happy Dwayne Casey is happy and that uh, he's able to, have some days where he really enjoys life. And those days come when he gets to play the Toronto Raptors. That is the next matchup for the Raptors on Friday. And then they got the Bucks on Saturday. So that should be a fun one. Maybe Giannis plays in that game. Who knows? 
He's if he dodges again, oh my goodness. Oh, Raptors Twitter is going to be live it in a way, but also, I mean, if the Raptors win another game, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, yeah. yeah. Yasmin, thank you so much for joining me. Anything, uh, anything coming up for you that you want to shout out? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, Dishes and Dimes every Monday. We have new episodes dropping. Um, I My piece for Yahoo should be coming out later this week. I write for them on a weekly basis. So if you want to check out my stuff, Yasmin Dewala on Yahoo Sports Canada, um, on the Yahoo Sports Canada's uh, website, um, and also for Complex on a weekly basis. So, dope, dope. yeah. Thank you all for listening. Have a good and safe week and we'll talk to you soon. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.